Welcome to Live in the Feast. I'm Jason Resnick, and for the past decade, I've been helping businesses translate their goals into online success as a freelance web developer. In order for me to accomplish my why as a freelancer, I needed to live in the feast. Now I'm turning the tables around so you as the freelancer can do the same and build a sustainable business to achieve success so that you can ultimately live the kind of life you want. This episode is sponsored by Feast. Feast is an online course and coaching platform built for freelancers like you who are looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Want to get higher quality clients? Command higher prices? Build recurring revenue so that you can stay out of the famine for good? Feast will help you focus and remain accountable through coaching calls, community, an exclusive mastermind group, and tons of resources. Join the VIP list now by going to res.com feast and get first crack at some exclusive bonuses when the next enrollment opens. If you are looking to boost even more referrals into your freelance business, then in this podcast, Laura Elizabeth will share with you how to create a memorable experience for your clients. I recently met Laura at a conference she spoke at and she shared some insights into how she creates memorable experience for all her freelance clients. Some as simple as just sending them a gift card to their local coffee shop just so that she can get the assets that she needs to build the websites. She does this not just so that the projects will be that much more successful, but so that it creates a lasting memory in her client's head. This way, Laura is far and away ahead of the pack for her clients to refer her more work. Your takeaway for this episode is to put yourself in your client's shoes. How could you make their experience working with you better and more memorable. And if you want to make yourself look even more professional and create a level of experience that most freelancers don't, Laura has graciously given you an exclusive discount just by being a listener of the show to her client portal. Check out the show notes for the link to that. Okay, so today I'm excited to be bringing on the show Laura Elizabeth, a freelance designer from across the pond, as they say, who helps businesses grow through strategy and design. So for those of you that love accents, I got my New York accent. She has her British accent, so hopefully you'll get a good taste of everything here. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Laura at a conference where she was a speaker. She spoke about how current client relationships can foster getting better clients just by making them feel special. And seeing as this season's all about getting clients, I wanted to see if Laura would like to come on the show and share some thoughts, insights, and her expertise with you. And I know she's got some awesome takeaways that you'll certainly want to hear. So without further ado, welcome, Laura. Awesome. Thank you very much. Great. So why don't you just give a brief intro to who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, as you said, I'm a designer. Um, I've been a designer for maybe seven years or so. I started out working in an agency and then went freelance after about, you know, six or so months after that. 
I've recently sort of taken a little bit of a sidestep and I'm kind of delving into products as well. I haven't given up the freelancing, haven't given up the client work, just sort of taking on less, but just the really fun, awesome projects while I do the product stuff in the interim. Awesome. So you said you started at an agency and then six months in you went freelance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that seems like a quick turnaround. What, what was the story behind that? Yeah, well, I actually started at the agency, I think it was a bit longer than six months, actually, because I started as an intern. And I, I went there straight from university. So I graduated and then worked as an intern in an agency. And then after a few months, I got a full time position there. But after a while, I think it was about six months of working there full time. I just, it's kind of hard to say why I stopped doing the agency work because essentially it was sort of the same work that I was doing. I just really didn't like doing the nine to five. So Mm. I preferred, I didn't really like commuting. Um, I didn't like having to work in the same office space every day. So I decided to just try it out on my own. And Initially, I started freelancing along the side of working at an agency. Mm-hmm. And it was mainly to just improve my skills a little bit because I didn't really feel like university sort of equipped me well enough to actually work on real client projects. And right. so I, uh, I started freelancing on the side and it was little jobs like, up, you know, from Upwork and stuff like that. But it kind of took off unexpectedly. And because, you know, I wasn't really enjoying the whole commuting, the whole nine to five thing. And I started earning about the same kind of income as I was in the agency uh, with freelancing. I decided to just kind of take the plunge and just go for it freelance full time. And I've been there ever since for the past six or so years. Nice. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's, it's funny. Sometimes you hear stories where people do what you did and I did, had a very similar path where I did freelance alongside the full-time job, but then there are other people that are just like, I'm just going to give this a go and hopefully it works. You know, sometimes there's a a soft plan in place, but it's more or less just, Hey, I'm going to do this or not. And, and So I always enjoy hearing why people decided to go down that route. Yeah, exactly. And well, to be honest, I had a very easy time with it because I was actually living with my parents at the time. So I was just fresh out of uni. So I didn't really have too much in terms of expenses or anything to really worry about in that sense. So I do feel very fortunate that I made the leap when I did. I know that if I'd have waited a bit longer, I think I'd have still done it, but it would have been a bit harder to just kind of say, okay, I'm just going to make the jump and go for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I I did that jump, obviously, I did it a lot later. You know, I right out of school, I worked for several companies and stuff and there was like, okay, I have rent to pay. I have electric bill to pay. <laughs> it's like certain yeah. bills. So I had to like kind of do a little bit of a calculation to make sure that, hey, I need this much work every single month in order for me to make this work. One thing I want to get into a little bit more is the product side. But before we do that, as far as freelancing go, like you said that you didn't like the commute. You didn't like working kind of in the same space. What I'm kind of hearing there is like, that constant, for lack of a better term, that beat up, right? There's lack of inspiration, Mm -hmm. mundane tasks every single day, mundane place, you know, it just kind of drones on. 
I'm curious if you had like a greater why, like, did you want to travel more? Is that, is that why you wanted to go into freelancing? Um, actually, yeah. So I did actually try the whole digital nomad thing for a while. When I first oh, cool. um, left the agency, I thought, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to travel, work from my laptop, work from anywhere in the world. And I did it, but it, that didn't last too long because I realized very quickly that it's very hard to do both. I found it really hard to travel and work on my business, especially because it was a new business. You know, I just started out. I think if I could go back, I would have got my business on track first before just going traveling. Um, So at least I had some, you know, automation stuff in place and processes, but I just kind of went for it. And then, yeah, I found it really hard. I I felt like I wasn't traveling like I wanted to. I wasn't seeing all the amazing things that I thought I was going to be seeing because I had deadlines and I had all this client work Mm. to do. And I felt like I was letting down my clients because I was unavailable in different, you know, in different time zones and stuff like that. And it just didn't work out for me. I think if I was to go back and do it now, I I could do it. Um, I just did it wrong, basically. But that was, that was a a big why was, um, I, I still love to travel. I still do it very frequently, but I have a home base now, but yeah, that's one of the main reasons. Mm, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, anytime I go away, the last thing I want to do is work. I kind of unplug almost like, mm-hmm. you know, like if I'm in a hotel or whatever, I throw the cell phone into the safe and I try not to even look at it. Yeah. I know my wife, she's always like, listen, no work <laughs> yeah. we're on vacation, you know? Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I, I get that. And that's what, that's what always intrigued me about the digital nomad. And I, I know, I know several people like that and I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? How do you travel and go to new places? Like I would always want to see and experience that new place. I don't want to be in front of my screen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I think, um, I mean, like I say, if I could go back and do it again, I think what I would do is I would, I'd barely be traveling. I'd so what I do is I maybe stay in one place for six months or so because I was in no rush. I had nothing to get back to, you know, it was, uh, that's not meant to sound depressing. It was actually really good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I, um, yeah, I'd have stayed in one place for about six months and maybe, set aside maybe, um, I don't know, six weeks of working, two weeks off. I was, it was just something right. like that, just just so I made sure I got my fill of the travel and got my fill of the work. Because um, the other thing is as well is if I travel for too long without working, I really miss working, which I think mm. is a great sign for being doing something that you love. So yeah, that's another reason. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think all of us, you know, especially in the freelance space, whether you call yourself a freelance or a consultant, small business owner, whatever the term you use, you're passionate about what you do. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people talk about that work-life balance. And like, I think for us, it's one and the same. Like, even though like I'm spending time with my family, there's like a part of me that's always kind of thinking like, oh, what can I do to improve my business or, yeah. you know, something about a client project or something like that. A side project or, yep. yeah, I get that. So one of the things that I really liked in your talk, um, and it was really talking about taking care of your clients, your existing clients, not necessarily a new client, the, the leads. And one thing you said was you kind of threw up quote unquote formula there. And you said, trust equals credibility plus reliability plus intimacy. Mm-hmm. Can you 
unpack that a little bit more because I love it because I think yeah. not everybody takes all of those factors into trust. Yeah, well, I think um, probably the best way to describe it is if I start by saying why trust is important. And what I realized was when I was when I first started, I was working on Upwork and I was getting jobs for you know fifty pounds or uh, dollars, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was um, I was getting those jobs pretty easily, but that's not really a sustainable way to really build a business when you live in a country like England or you're traveling or something. You need a bit more money than that. And I realized to get the to get the higher value project projects that I really wanted. And especially if I wanted to do it remotely, which was a very key factor in how I wanted to work, I I really didn't want to be going to meetings all the time. I didn't really want to be working at someone else's office. In order for someone to get over that mental hurdle of giving someone they've never met over the internet lots of money, they're going to have to really trust you. And I, I found out that trust is much harder to gain from other people when you don't get to meet them face to face because you don't get those conversations and you you just don't get the you know you're not with them you don't get the body language and stuff like that so then I did a little bit of research and you know found this trust equation which is as you say trust equals credibility and the credibility aspect is is things like what you've done so your portfolio and stuff like that or your past work and then that's things that most freelancers have already, you know, it's their website. It's most of them have got credibility. It's things like testimonials, you know, and stuff like that. Right. But that's, that's usually where people stop. So they'll say, mm-hmm. you know, I've got this, they should hire me because they can see that I've done the work in the past. But there's also a few other elements, which is um, reliability. So showing that you are not just going to go off the grid at any point, showing that right. you are going to be there. I'm, I'm not saying be there 24 seven, but just, be there if they have a question or if they have a concern, they, they, they can rely on you. Then you've got the intimacy factor, which is being close to them. Uh, obviously, you know, professionally close to them. Right. Um, <laughs> so just, just getting on good terms with them and maybe just treating them like a normal person. You don't have to be too stuffy and you don't have to be too professional. You, you want them to feel relaxed around you. You want them to feel comfortable. You don't want to make them feel like you're, you know, really high and mighty and they they are scared to tell you an idea they have because you might shoot it down or you know say they're stupid or something so you really want them to be able to open up to you and then there was actually another part to the equation which is you sort of add all those up and then divide it by self-orientation and that's and the self-orientation is how inward focused you are so if you're just focused on yourself and what I do so I do this I make beautiful designs I make uh, amazing WordPress websites or whatever as opposed to um, this is what you need I help you with this problem um, so you want to be less self-orientated so you want to be talking less about yourself and more about the client and that's kind of if you factor in all those different parts of the equation and, and you do all those right then the client will trust you and you're far more likely to get the project and get the higher value projects so yeah that's that's fantastic because you're right the credibility part is like those branding badges that people put on their website and stuff like that and you know oh i did work for so and so and all that kind of stuff which is fantastic to get but the fact is are you reliable intimacy i call it just personality mesh right like you kind of have to get along with your clients if you don't really get along with them you know, and you're really just on business, then the project can have only so much success. 
Mm-hmm. And I do like the other point about self-orientation as well, because when you first start out freelancing, you talk a lot about what you can do, right? Like your skill set. As a developer, I did this, you know, I, you know, I, I work on these kind of sites. I do, I build custom development pieces. I do this, I do that. Until I realized that they don't really care what I do. They just want to know that I can solve their problems or answer their questions, right? And that was a huge mindset shift for me. Like, oh, let me talk about my benefits instead of my features. Yeah, exactly. And how can what I do, how can my craft help you in your business? Right, right. I love hearing that, I don't know, just reliability, like to get away from being a flaky freelancer, like that reliability thing is a huge, huge factor. Yeah. When when you po- <laughs> when you posted up that slide, I was like, "Hey, this is what I talk about all the time." <laughs> oh, I was nice. like, "That's awesome!" At least I'm not crazy, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, cool, awesome. All right. So the other part of what you really spoke about was like the experience of working with you. So like, you know, you talked about how you interact with the client, like how you get assets from them, how you give them assets like documents and things like that, as well as even like some of the other small little nuances or, you know, like you talked about some gifts and stuff too. Could you basically creating a full on experience with them rather than just like a brand talking to another brand. Yeah, exactly. So I'm actually, I'm really big on client experience and sort of surprising them with little things um, just to make working with me really fun. The, The reason behind that is really because I find for me the best way to get either more clients or more repeat work is by referrals. So if I can, if I can give them experience that they'll remember, they're more likely to, when, when someone asks them, you know, do you know a good designer? They'll be like, oh, I remember Laura, you know, she was great to work with. She gave me a little gift and something like that. So I try to do little things like that whenever I can. What I typically do is, so I, I work on a lot of website projects mm-hmm. and I find one of the biggest struggles that I have is getting copy over to me for the website um, if the client's providing it. And so what I do is at the start of a project, I'll give them, I have like a sort of onboard process that I use. And as, as a part of that, I'll give them some worksheets and stuff to fill in and I'll, you know, ask them to write their content for me. And a couple of weeks later, I'll email them again and I'll say, hey, you know, I got you a little gift. It's a gift card for a coffee shop, you know, Costa or Starbucks or something that's near, near to where they live. Mm-hmm you know, go spend some time on your business, go get some coffee and don't forget to write your content. Um, and it's just sort of a little <laughs> way to <laughs> nudge them into getting me their content without seeming too much like a nag, you know. Um, right. And I, I try to do that at very uh, specific intervals before the project starts. So if there's, you know, maybe six weeks or so before a project starting, three weeks out, I'll send them the little coffee card and say, you know, give them a nudge to get their content going. Cause a lot of them will leave it till the very last minute right? or just not do it at all. So yeah. that's always been yeah. tricky. And that that's great too, because now they get to feel like if I spend this, like, you know, 10, 15, $20 or whatever it is on the card, like, and I don't do that content, <laughs> I'll feel <laughs> yeah. terrible. She gave exactly. me this just to go spend some time on this. And if I don't do it, you know, that's great. Yeah. I love that. So I know that you touched a little bit on it as far as products go, 
part of one product in particular is this client portal, right? And mm -hmm. I assume that, you know, you use this with your existing clients and kind of the popular term is dog fooding it, right? Where you kind of used it yourself and then you said, hey, you know what? I could probably bottle this up and sell it, right? And this client portal, could you kind of explain a little bit about what that is and then why you decided to make a product out of that? Yeah, sure. So this is basically how I've been starting delving into products. And um, it actually came from the conference that I was at where you were as well. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, the client portal is it's a really simple web page that I put on my website. And I put all the assets and all the information that a client needs at the start of every project. So basically, what they do is I give them a little some login information, they go to my website.com forward slash client name, and then they log in. Um, via the login form there. And they just see a really simple web page that's got information about my availability, um, how to contact me, any times during the project that I might be away, you know, just any important information they need to know. And then I've split the rest into different sections. So they can collate all of the assets throughout the project in this one place. So things like if you send them a contract at the start of a project, that can that's usually sent via email or via some software like HelloSign or something mm -hmm. that usually gets lost in the email thread, you know, way, way down. But I usually put stuff like this in the client portal. So they have this one area on my website where they can access everything. So it's got the contract in, the proposal in, it's got any of the worksheets that I do before they start. So they can, if they need to find the worksheet, they just go to the portal, click on the relevant section and find their worksheet. And then as we're going through the project, it'll have all the assets for the project in. So they can really go on this at any time, whether I'm working or whether I'm not and see where we are in the project. So it links directly to my Dropbox. So basically as I'm working, the client portal is being updated. So they don't need mm -hmm. to come to me and say, you know, have you got this thing ready yet? Because they can go on and they can see if they've, I've got it ready or, or not. Um, and that's been really good just to stop the kind of micromanagers um, right. that I'm sure everyone's had before. Yep. But I've just found it. So I used it for myself and then I spoke about it at the DYF conference and loads of people came up to me afterwards saying, you know, I want one of these. How do I get one? Um, <laughs> so I decided to um, make it into a product and uh it was surprising because to me, I thought it was really simple. And a lot of people said, you know, the idea was really simple, but I just hadn't thought of it. And actually, that's what I've been needing. And I didn't necessarily know I've been needing it. Mm -hmm. So it was it was just quite interesting, the fact that I was solving a pain for myself and I didn't make the correlation that other people's might be having the same problem. Um, and I, they could use this to help them as well. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes we're scratching itches for ourselves and we don't realize. So yeah. I've found that myself too, with some of the content that I do and what I built Feast out with is just basically how I built my business. And people were asking me like, Hey, how do you do this kind of stuff? And, you know, do you have resources for this and those kind of things? And, you know, a lot of times when we go into freelancing, we only think services yeah, and we don't necessarily look at hey, we could also do these other things. But it goes back to the topic of sustainability too, because if you have a product that you can sell, it might not bring you thousands and thousands of dollars, but it's another revenue stream that comes into your business that you might have not thought about before, but 
it could help you be more sustainable, yeah. be more selective with projects that you want to work on and even travel, you know, take time away from the business because you know that, hey, the lights are going to stay on. Yeah, exactly. It just it's sort of instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, you know, if something happened tomorrow in your um, freelancing or your service based business just started, you know, you got into the famine cycle um, you still have a bit of a backup. And it also, it's something different as well. Doing products is very different from doing services. And it's actually really rewarding because you often, well, I often find because I'm a designer, I'm, I'm doing things for the people thinking, oh God, I wish I had this for myself. You know, I wish I was doing this for myself. And it's kind of a way to do a project um, for yourself. And it's really nice to be just working on something that's just yours, you know. Yeah, totally. So aside from the client portal product, you have other products in the queue as well? Yeah. So my my main thing is um, Design Academy, which it's not launched yet. It's I'm sort of working very hard behind the scenes trying to create a full course. And it's basically teaching design to developers in a really non-pretentious way like <laughs> design is normally taught. Um, and the reason that came about is partly because when I went through design school and at university... I didn't really find the way that design was taught to be very useful. And I always felt like there was something wrong with me because I didn't really pick it up as quickly as everybody else. Mm. I found that it was really kind of subjective and it was quite sort of touchy-feely. You know, you just have to know, you have to see this and know that it works. And I was like, but how do I know? I can, I know when I see something that looks good, but I'm not quite sure what the ingredients are that actually has made it look like that. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And the other reason that it started was because I was working with a lot of developers who said the exact same things to me. They were like, you know, I really love good design. That's why I'm hiring you. That's why I'm hiring a designer. I wish I could do it myself because I've got this side project that I want to work on and I don't want to hire a designer for it until I've made some money, but I'm worried that I won't be able to make money for it if it looks really bad. So I decided to try to teach um, these developers how to make their designs not look bad. So the developers are going to stay developers. That's what they're really into. But they just want to learn how to make something look half decent. And I'm sort of coming up with sort of systems and processes that makes the design process kind of a no-brainer. You're not going to win any awards, but you're going to have something (laughs) that uh, just looks really it just looks designed you know hopefully people look at it and say oh that looks like it's been done by a designer and that's kind of the goal for it so um it's not actually launched yet it's what i'm working on in the background but yeah awesome yeah so (laughs) i mean this sounds perfect for me because i'm the same way yeah i'm a developer i've given up design long time ago and I always say that to my clients too. I'm, I'm a developer. If you want design, I have design resources that I can reach out to to see if they can handle this stuff. Yeah. But similarly, I was the same way too. Like I used to, you know, design my own website or have a friend do it, you know, kind of thing yeah. or buy a premium theme. But like when I took that leap and had an actual designer, a real expert <laughs> design my brand, my site, the whole logo, the whole everything from top to bottom, it makes a world of difference. Yeah, it really does. It makes a difference in terms of, well, a lot of things really, both in terms of conversion rates, but also, 
you know, you go to a you go to a conference or you go to an event or someone asks you what you do and they want to link to your website or your business card. And sometimes you can be like, oh, I don't want to hand over this business card because I'm so embarrassed of my website. Um, <laughs> you know, it can even be stuff like that. It just makes you feel better about you right. know, your brand and your product. And yeah, it makes you look like a real professional. <laughs> yeah. And it was and it's interesting that you do say that because I don't know if you know Jonathan Stark. Yeah. I have his newsletter and he actually sent something out, maybe it was this week, um, where he talked about a redesign of his consultant site. And he said, you know, what's my ROI on that? You know, my ROI is already that I have the confidence to go out there and sell my services better because I know that I have the site behind me that, you know, looks good. It conveys what I do. It conveys the benefits of my services. So I have that confidence and by me going out there and having that confidence in my own services because the site is there to support me, I know I can sell, right? Like they know that once you get the conversation going, I can close that deal. But, you know, if you have a, like you said, like I don't want to hand off my business card because I don't want them to go look at my site because it's just, you know, Times New Roman, blue links, (laughs) the whole nine yards. So just to be able to have that asset. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's, it does a world of difference. So that's fantastic. Uh, I'll definitely be checking that out. Where is there like a waiting list then that people can get onto? Yeah. So if you go to designacademy.io, there's sort of a little sign up form there where you can sign up to find out when it launches. And I also send some, Great. you know, design articles now and again that are hopefully very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So you talked a little bit about automation and defining systems and things like that. When you started freelancing, what was the first system that you put into place? Um, Well, I'd say, well, my first system that I put into place actually didn't stay for very long, but it was, I tried to come up with a really solid design process. So I'm, as I say, I'm a web designer. So I tried to do things like, you know, I'm going to do day one, I'm going to do a mood board, then I'm going to do some sketches, then I'm going to do some wireframes, then I'm going to do a low fidelity mockup, a high fidelity mockup, etc. That didn't really work for me because all my a lot of my projects were kind of different and the needs were different. You know, some projects didn't need wireframes and stuff like that. So that was kind of my first process, but it didn't stick. In terms of the first process that's actually stuck to this day, it would have to be the onboarding process. So when I get a new client, I have like, um, I'm starting to create sort of a folder of standard operating procedures. I think that's SOPs, Um, uh, where I just put down everything that I do. But the onboarding one was the first, and it's the one I still use now. So I have things like if a client accepts a proposal, uh, first thing I'll do is I'll update the contract. And I've got a standard contract that I use, which I just edit out some of the bits and make it relevant to the client. Um, I'll upload it to HelloSign for them to send, to them to sign and send. I'll get their deposit. I'll set them up a, a sort of link to a mood board website. Um, I'll send them the worksheets for their relevant project. And then I'll put all this information, so all the worksheets, the mood board link, the proposal deposit, invoice um, and everything into the client portal and I'll sort of bundle it up Mm. there give them their login and just send them sort of an onboarding I've got a kind of series of onboarding emails which I'll send them which just tells them how the project's going to work you know what they can expect from me what I need from them and that's worked really well for me in terms of both making me seem 
really professional, even when I'm really busy, because a lot of these emails are sort of pre-written and I just take out the odd sentence mm-hmm. and change them. But yeah, so that's basically the main process that I have that's still sort of in use today. Very cool. Yeah, I think that was probably my biggest impactful process as well, is an onboarding, just to be able to know that everything is covered in a sequence of emails, what I need from them, what they can expect from me, when they can expect it, not to bombard them with, hey, I need everything from you (laughs) right now, you know, like just to be able to know that that's there is that kind of like security blanket. Like, so if I don't even necessarily need a login information to Google Analytics right away, Mm -hmm. I know at least they sent it to me so that when I do need it, it's there. Onboarding, I think, is a huge asset to any service business. Yeah. And it's really good when you, if you get to the stage where you hire, you know, a VA or something, you know, if you start defining these processes now and this automation now, it makes, when you get to the stage where it gets a little bit overwhelming, you can hire someone and you can just hand that off to them and they can get the information they need pretty easily. So I'd always recommend, you know, it's one thing I wish I did is I wish I did more processes and automation earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing that I'm into is defining those processes and stuff. Like I'm still solo and I don't plan on hiring, but the processes, being able to build the system around those processes goes a long way in allowing me to still be solo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what is your number one piece of advice for any freelancer looking to live in the feast? Um, Well, I'd say sort of tacking on to the thing about processes, you know, putting a lot of that into place. Specifically for, you know, if you're going between the feast and famine cycle, I'd say put some processes in specifically for referrals. So what I usually do is at the end of a project, you know, I'm signing off for them and I'll put in my calendar, you know, a week later to check in and see how they're going. And then a month later to check in and see how they're going. Then six months later to check in and see how it's going. And in those emails, you can have some of it pre-written. So, you know, obviously, do you know anyone who might benefit from, you know, my services or something like that Um, and see if they've got any referrals for you. But obviously just make the email really casual and personal. You know, you're, you're not really selling to them. You're just checking in and kind of catching up in a way. That's probably one of the mm-hmm. best things you can do and it's the good thing is, is it's really easy to do even if you're in the feast cycle so it can be hard when you're when you're in the feast bit and you're really busy to keep mm-hmm. up with stuff like that but that's just one thing that's really easy that you could just you could just write a couple of emails and put a couple of calendar schedules in you know 10 minutes or so so yeah that would probably be the main thing i would recommend awesome that that's awesome advice um before i let you go who's an amazing freelancer that I should have on the show and why? Um, can I give you three? I can't choose between sure. three. <laughs> um, so I'd say the first one, obviously, you know, Brennan Dunn, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, have you had him on yet? I'm not sure. I couldn't see no, him. I no, um, I would say if possible, get him on because he's basically who I learned everything I know from about freelancing from. Also, uh, Shai I really struggle with the pronunciation of that. Yep. He's doing some really cool stuff with um, personalization that I'm really interested in at the minute. And I think he's got a lot to share for, you know, freelancers and how they can use their website as more of a tool for marketing. Um, sure. And then the last one would be Austin Church. He's just, he's a kind of a copywriter, but he also 
you know, teaches people about freelancing and business. And he's got loads of useful insights about like writing for freelancers, um, which is something that I think every freelancer should be doing, even though it's really, really hard. And he's also just really good at giving general freelance business advice. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely reach out to all three of them. Cool. I, I have talked to all three of them at some length. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think they were at the conference, were they? I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I met Austin there. The uh, Brennan and Shy, I've, I've known on and off through Twitter or, you know, through the interwebs, so to speak, yeah. for, for a number of oh, years. Awesome. Cool. So this has been amazing. Yeah. Laura, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for all the generosity that you've shared with us too in being able to, you know, help us cater to our clients in a better way. Where can folks reach out to you and say thanks? Um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle's at Laurium. So it's L-A-U-R-I-U-M. You can check out my website, which is laurelizabeth.co. And yeah, that's basically got links to everything that I do. So Design Academy Client Portal and stuff like that. And yeah, just reach out and say hi. I'd love to hear from anyone. Great. Yeah. And I'll put all the links as well in the show notes here. So uh, link to Laura's website, all Design Academy too. I think a lot of developers out there would uh, <laughs> appreciate that one. Awesome. Um, so definitely go to the website. You'll see all the links there. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. And until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. <laughs>